0: This excellent medical student-led podcast for educational purposes only, and it's not intended to be medical advice under any circumstance. Back with us today is uh as host is me, Kevin. I'm uh, an M4 planning to go
1: internal medicine, and we have Dr. Abrams here with us. I, I gotta ask one question before we go on to our, to our to our case and our students who are gonna speak. And I, I want to hear about your last couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks, Dr. Abrams. I got married
0: uh two weeks ago, I think now, and it was awesome. Um, and then we did a mini trip to Zion camping and just hiked a bunch for five nights. So I want to know, did you go up Angel's Landing? And I, what was it like? I, <laughs> I went up Angel's Landing um, with my wife by my side. We got to that Scouts Lookout, which is then where the chains start. And it looks like there's one ascent up. And she did that reluctantly. And then we got there, and then you see it's a massive ascent up the next one, and I had to leave her behind. <laughs> get to the top? I got to the top. I made it back. Um, it was a little crowded, and I guess that's expected now. It wasn't really a weekend, but uh, totally worth it. We, we went canyoneering the next day, and our guide said, oh, you guys did Zion's easiest rock climb. So <laughs> <laughs> Zion is so beautiful. I don't know if you guys have ever been to Zion, but it's fabulous. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> but, yeah, it was a great trip. Thanks, Dr. Abrams. Um, and then with us today, we have...
2: Amanda Narcos. I'm an M4 and I am planning to go into neurology and I've actually known Kevin before med school and we were scribes together at a, a suburban Chicago hospital.
3: I'm Patrick Draskowski. I'm planning on going into med fees. I have not <laughs>
0: known Kevin since before medical <laughs> school. <laughs> um, all right guys, you ready? Yeah. yeah. All right, so um, Alipot One is a 44-year-old male was brought to a neighboring emergency room after having a witness seizure while at work. Pretty vague, but I'm going to toss it to you guys and see. we got the neurologist here. <laughs> yeah, neurologist to be.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, makes me wonder if he has a history of seizures or if this is the first seizure. Also, if he, what it looked like, how long was he down? Was he shaking any body parts specifically? One side, um, incontinence? basically making sure it's a seizure or more so defining the qualities of a seizure versus maybe something else. And I think another important thing is to ask if he has any um, substance abuse because um, sometimes withdrawal or even just using like something such as cocaine can lead to a seizure as well.
1: So I know this case and I just want to say it wasn't there when it happened, but it was presented as a tonic-clonic seizure. Okay. I agree and, uh,
3: with, I agree with everything that Amanda said. I think My first thought is I want to get some more history as to this guy's background because a seizure in itself could have a wide variety of different causes outside of just epilepsy. Mm -hmm. Um, And drug use is obviously one of those things. Um, It occurring at work and other any other history he has. Maybe it's work related. Maybe it's uh, some type of metabolic process. Um, Did he have an injury? Uh, Any of these types of things.
0: I think you guys, it's very well said, both you guys, you really nailed like teasing out additional history, characterizing one, if it was a seizure, what did it look like? Cause that helps you narrow down differential. And then also even questioning whether it is a seizure or not, and then just kind of walking through all the different causes. So I think you guys, you're thinking the right way. I think we're ready to move on to Aliquot 2. So upon arrival to the ER, the patient was noted to be confused. His blood pressure was 244 systolic over 154 diastolic. His creatinine was 3.2. Previously, it was below one. a CT scan of the brain was normal, but they also did an MRI, which uh, had findings concerning for posterior reversal and syndrome or press. And echo was normal. Did have concentric left ventricular hypertrophy due to the elevated blood pressure. He started on a cardiotrin drip with improvement of his blood pressure. His mental status also improved, but he had no recollection of the event that brought him to the hospital, and he was then transferred to Rush for further care. You got a little bit more info there what kind of things are you guys thinking about now or how does this change your thinking so my first thought is
3: what's causing his blood pressure to be that high and why is his creatinine elevated as well which could be due to the blood pressure being that high yeah um if those two are somehow related and then causing uh, the press syndrome okay um,
0: so full disclosure i had to look up Press Syndrome. I was going to say, so, not entirely sure what <laughs> PRESS is. <laughs> um, PRESS is headache, seizures, altered mental status, and visual loss characterized by white matter vasogenic edema, that affects the posterior occipital and parietal lobes, if that helps.
2: I think the fact that he was confused helps us support the seizure over like a single full episode. Um, also, it's possible he could be uremic, but with PRESS, it's most likely not, um, I think, if I'm thinking correctly. And the fact that he lost consciousness as well supports the seizure. And I think it's promising that the nicardipine is helping bring down his blood pressure. Although we don't entirely know um, what caused it to be so high. And if he has a history of any increased blood pressures or any kidney disease as well, which it shows previous creatinine was normal. So probably not.
0: I, I, you guys are thinking along the right train perfectly. Like why is that blood pressure so high? That's the, that's what just stands out right away. And if that's the cause of why he's his mental status has changed, um, that's our that's what we're thinking right now. That seems to be the best thing to kind of go after.
1: Um, Doctor, do you have anything you want to add? Yeah, I guess I would I would say this. And that is, you know, high blood pressure is something that we you know we talk about all the time. It's like everybody has high blood pressure, but then there's really high blood pressure, and I guess that I would say this falls into the really high blood pressure category, and When you get up to blood pressures in the, you know, over 200 to 220 to 240, it, it brings up certain things that you might think. And so I'm interested in the things that go through your mind when you see that 240, as opposed to the 145 that, you know, then treat with five medications. (laughs) So my first thought
3: is like chronic hypertension that's untreated and setting up causing worsening kidney failure in this patient. Uh and then it's kind of like the chicken and the egg I guess blood pressure goes up kidneys get worse as kidneys get worse blood pressure continues
1: to go up. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Probably the most common cause of this is just chronic kidney disease um and with with as you say that the 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 egg following the chicken if that's the way you want to look at it. Other things that you think about?
2: Well, thinking about like hypertensive emergency and urgency when it's reaching this level and like renovascular disease, um potentially stenosis of so, you know, unilateral or even bilateral. Um, and it's slowly been creeping up. And we don't know his um, previous like follow-up. Has he seen doctors regularly? Has not seen one in 15 years.
0: You want to talk us through your understanding of the difference between urgency and emergency?
2: I used to know this a little <laughs> better.
3: So my understanding of urgency versus emergency is with urgency, you have the severe range of blood pressure, but no symptoms related to mm-hmm. it. Where with hypertensive emergency, you have both the severe range blood pressure and symptoms being caused by it, or like end organ damage being caused by the high range blood pressure.
2: Like our patient. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> I, I was I, I joke. I've got two people who've rotated with me now on medicine, <laughs> and I always have this. I don't know what hypertensive urgency is because people don't have any symptoms. So those are numbers that we see. <laughs> hypertensive emergency is is exactly as you put it. So it's it's the concept of of very high blood pressure associated with symptoms. And, and actually, Kevin taught me something before I walked in, you can tell them. So there's even further
0: classification.
1: <laughs> then then comes malignant hypertension,
0: which is again, that severe blood pressure range. Um, and due to the widespread arterial or
1: injury, retinopathy characterizes malignant hypertension. The other thing before we go on is, is again, sort of the thinking. So when we talk about hypertension with symptoms, what are the potential symptoms? retinopathy, I suppose is one, but you got got to look really hard for it. And I guess, I guess that's a reason to have your ophthalmoscope, which nobody has, but, but there are symptoms that you can have that you don't need special equipment for.
2: Headache, (laughs) headache. (laughs) seizures. You can even have like palpitations, chest pain.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Edema. Yeah. Shortness of breath. Yeah. Yeah, Perfect. Cardiac. So yeah. Think of Mm -hmm. the brain, the heart, and then the third one is the other one saw the eyes and then yeah. the kidneys, all these places where there's these little teeny vessels that can be affected by blood pressures of whatever, 250. I mean, it goes back to that, goes back to that, that press. It's a small vessel disease. Let's move on
0: to the next one. I thought this, since we're, we're talking about it, there's a spectrum of hypertensive crises. We mentioned malignant hypertension and that's neural but we've also kind of briefly talked about acute end organ damage and there's the cardiac causes like this is acute hypertension causing heart failure so, CAD, so something like an acute mi hypertension can cause a narrow dissection um, and then there's cns catastrophe so hypertensive encephalopathy uh, ICH, subarachnoid or cerebral infarction and even active bleeding so it's like a systemic response to that and there's more uncommon causes like catecholamine excess so with that you're thinking of Um, in your ob patients preeclampsia eclampsia and there's various miscellaneous things so like severe burn patients, someone on high dose cyclosporine, they have autonomic hyperreflexia um, and then acute transplant rejection. And along with that, there's uh, renal artery stenosis, which I think Amanda brought up mm-hmm. earlier, which so like renal vascular disease causes. In a case like this, Dr. Abrams, when when do you kind of start thinking, well, first, you're, we don't really know much about the past history yet. So does he have underlying hypertension? We don't know. So is it essential or a secondary cause of hypertension? When do you kind of start considering the
1: secondary causes more than the, the essential? I, I think two things, and it, it, you can correct me if I'm wrong. How about that? So first of all, obviously there's the people who don't respond to antihypertensives. And if you look sort of at the classical literature around this, it was people who actually required more than four medications to call, to control their blood pressure. That's been revised down as we've gotten better antihypertensive therapies to down to three so those people there's the age extremes right so uh, so those are ones where you're supposed to think about a secondary causes of hypertension and and i would imagine we don't have enough history in this case yet but you know these people who present with very 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 high blood pressures are ones that i think it at least has to cross your mind when there is no other collateral history that that you know about or or, or they have
0: and then one other thing I was kind of hoping we could just talk about here before the next aliquot was this, this guy's pressure is super high. I already mentioned it, but what's, like, the immediate goal when, when you're this guy comes to the floor and you notice the pressure is 244 or 160? What's your next step?
2: You don't want to drop it too fast because we don't know how high he's been running regularly, so you don't want to drop it. The exact number, Patrick might know. <laughs>
1: say 173 <laughs> 173 i don't know why. i was thinking
2: like listen 180 <laughs> at first yeah.
0: and then no your your reasoning is, is spot on right <laughs> like you want to lower their pressure acutely but you don't want to bring it to a normal blood pressure you want to bring it to a normal high pressure so like the 160s mm-hmm. 170s um it just it's scary when it's that high right because of all the things we've been talking about that could happen
1: the ICU people will talk about actually using the the mean arterial pressure as a goal. So not, Mm -hmm. not the Uh, systolic or the diastolic, but, but, but some combination of those two. And so you're, so it's lowering using that as a threshold. And then as a follow on what, what Kevin just said is the, well, how do you do this? And, and so what's the strategy around lowering blood pressure for these people?
3: So I think in this patient, He's coming in. He's impressed. He's confused and altered. You mentioned the nicardipine drip before. Uh, to me, that's the way to do it. Given that, given the symptoms he is having, and he can't talk to us, tell us anything, because uh, that really allows us to regulate how much we're giving him. It's very easy to decrease the dose, to let it go back up if we need to for some reason, or drop it more if we need to as well by
0: changing that. Perfect. Perfect. Yep. Yeah. I mean, in, in hypertensive crisis, we're it's IV anti right? We're not going to be giving orals because you got to get on top of it
1: quickly.
2: So when they get discharged and you find out more, if it's a chronic issue,
1: then yeah, exactly. stabilize
2: them to be on something oral.
1: And in the old days, which is where I come from, they mm-hmm. used to use ganglion blockers, which I don't know if anybody uses anymore, but it's really sort of migrated now mm-hmm. to, I think, nicardine is, is is the drug of choice for this.
0: All right. You guys ready for aliquot four? Yeah. Sorry, aliquot three. So just some additional history. This patient has no remarkable past medical history. Uh, he denied fever, chills, chest pain, shortness of breath, abdominal pain, or hematuria doesn't take any medications. He has no allergies, doesn't smoke tobacco, and he uses alcohol very infrequently. Um, family history was otherwise unremarkable.
3: Do we know the age of this patient?
0: 44. Forty-four.
2: Okay. Well, not that helpful, but <laughs> can also kind of exclude some stuff too, like drug use if he doesn't have any, any medications sometimes can cause if he was a toxicity. He doesn't have any like um, systemic symptoms like fevers. Um, to think of like a meningitis or big um, infectious process. The one thing I was thinking about was, um, I don't remember now that what I was thinking about, I guess what he was feeling prior to the seizure, like if he had an aura of sorts.
1: Unfortunately, having actually spoken to him, he had no recollection of okay. the event. He, he developed amnesia for, he essentially he lost his short-term memory mm-hmm. for a couple of days.
2: Mm-hmm. And then, oh, this is what I was going to ask. Like, Systemic symptoms, like I know he has not have fever and chills, but any like weight loss, like thinking par- paraneoplastic syndromes, but seems okay. a little less likely, but something to consider. Yeah. Anything you want to add, Patrick?
0: I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty unrevealing, but I think Amanda walked through it nicely in, in terms of, yeah, you know, we didn't get much out of this, but it kind of helps us put some things to the side, right? Like, so we don't have to start thinking about alcohol withdrawal or intoxication or just other toxic, like intoxicated syndromes. Um, and then he's on no medications and had and has no past medical history. So um, it doesn't direct us down one way, but he's kind of still an open book at this point. So I think we'll move on to Alpha 4. So this is the physical exam. His blood pressure now is 161 over 97. Um, RA 94, temp is 98.3, his respiratory rate is 18, and he's sat at 97%. On constitutional, he's awake, alert, cooperative, no apparent distress. On H E N T, his pupils are equal, reactive or round reactive. To light accommodate bilaterally, his EOMIs are intact. He has clear sclera. Tight. He does have tightness in his perioral region around the vermilion borders. On neck exam, neck is soft, supple, trachea is midline, normal thyroid, no JVD, lungs, no increased work of breathing, um, clear to auscultation bilaterally, no wheezing or crackles. On cardiovascular, it's regular rate rhythm, normal S1, S2, no murmurs, uh, no lower extremity edema. On abdominal exam, he has bowel sounds, soft, non tender, non descended, no masses. MSK, there's no redness form, there's swelling of the joints, neurologic, patient is awake, alert, and oriented to name, place and time. Uh, there's no focal neurological deficits. And then on skin exam, the, it was noted that there's taut skin of the fingers bilaterally and
1: no rashes. I just have to say before these guys go on, I just saw this smile cross Patrick's face <laughs> you're, reading, <laughs> you're reading the physical exam, and I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> First, my thought was overall, the
3: exam was pretty normal. Yeah. Uh, and then the tight skin, the taut skin on the fingers and the... Perioral region. For me, yeah, that makes me think like connective tissue autoimmune type um, picture, uh, regardless of what the other history says. When yeah. I see that, perfect.
2: Yeah, I was thinking scleroderma, Strogrins, and potentially some sort of even vasculitis, especially since he's having um, kidney disease and he could be having. The, I know it's the the reversible encephalopathy, but he could be having some, on like progressive vasculitis that's contributing to his hypertension.
0: I think we have a little bit of direction now. So you guys mentioned autoimmune. We have a focus on kind of where we're going to
1: own our data collection, I think. And, and you did get some important information that's negative also. Mm-hmm. And remember, we tend to focus on the positives, but very often the negatives are also are, are also it is equally important. Um, and, you know, having a normal cardiovascular exam, having a normal lung exam, I think is... Uh, certainly in a case like this is is, is really helpful. We'll go on to Aliquot five.
0: There's a lot to digest here. I'll walk us through it first and then we can talk about it. Um, On CBC, he had a leukocytosis, uh, white blood cells were 18.27. His hemoglobin was low at nine, hematocrit also low at 27.7, platelets were high at 553. Uh, Normocytic MCV, on cmp sodium was 135 potassium 4.4 chloride 105 co2 of 20 which is low his bun was 47 which is high his creatinine was 3.71 which is high glucose is 104 protein 7.7 7, albumin 3.0 calcium 9.4 t billy 0.9, 9. alp was 71 and then ast was 21 and alt was 19 on the ua it was noted to be yellow specific gravity was normal Um, there was noted to be proteinuria of 30. He didn't have any glucose ketones, Bilirubin trace blood was noted. Nitrite was negative. Urobilinogen was elevated at 2.0. Blue was negative. There were no casts. Let's talk about the labs first, before I add even more onto that. It's a lot to digest. Like I said, do one of you guys kind of want to walk through the CBC, just initial thoughts on the findings there. So, my initial thoughts on the CBC
3: is given that he just had the seizure uh, and he doesn't have any other focal signs of infection, the white blood cell count and platelets could be reactive from that. Um, Could also be potentially reactive from like a vasculitis of some sort as well. Then, the hemoglobin being low, to me, supports some sort of process that is likely eating up his red blood cells, given that uh, his MCB is normal. His RDW, I think, is a little high as well.
0: Um, sounds like these, the, these labs kind of support what we were, the direction we were thinking of heading, um, Amanda, want to comment on CMP?
2: Yeah, it seems, um, once again, the creatinine's up, bumped up three point seven one and BUN is 47. So the BUN creatinine ratio would be like 10 less than like 10 to 15. So probably something pre or post renal, um, But everything else electrolyte-wise is normal. So that's promising in terms of like not needing to replete anything or potentially one of those being um, lower high balance um, causing him to have a seizure. Um, And then I think the urinalysis in support of like the CMP, we see the um, blood in it supported both like we could think of rhabdo, but the fact that he has RBCs and blood trace blood shows that it's more so a potential glomerular nephritis, which is supporting our thought of like something autoimmune, something vasculitic.
1: You've got your poor man kidney biopsy there for <laughs> analysis, right? Uh, I like how
0: you guys are thinking. I'll add a little more to our data now. He uh, also had a chest x-ray, which showed bilateral reticular nodular opacities predominantly in the bilateral lower lobes with associated low lung volumes, concerning for underlying interstitial lung disease. We also had an EKG, showed normal sinus rhythm, and non-specific T-wave abnormalities. So normal EKG, what do you guys think about the chest x-ray?
3: I think when, when I see a test x-ray that's supporting interstitial lung disease, along with the rest of our clinical picture, the kidney involvement that we have, uh, there are like some vasculitis type things that I think about. So what used to be called Wagner's, but granulomatosis with polyanditis, uh, but should theoretically have upper respiratory involvement as well. Uh, and microscopic polyanditis, uh, and then eosinophilic polyanditis with granulomatosis are three that I think of when I think of kidney
1: and lung involvement together.
2: I concur. Okay. Of
1: course, I'd say the, the last, but the the, the the disease formerly known as, you already mentioned the disease formerly known as Wegner's granulomatosis. There's also the disease formerly known as church strauss <laughs> yeah. disease, which is now uh, eosinophil granul- poly- granulomatosis with polyangiitis. There's a few things missing from that diagnosis, which are
3: Field, yeah. uh, I don't know.
1: Sorry. Uh, yeah, asthma type. asthma, right? The history of asthma, which is which usually goes with that, just like the the GPA, which is the upper upper respiratory type symptoms that people have.
0: I'm gonna pose a little challenge to you guys now, and this is something I'm trying to incorporate more just in real time when I'm on a rotation. How about you guys try to reframe the overall problem representation? So, in like two to three sentences, how do you sum up this case? That kind of explains um, where your thinking is going to be headed. So like chief complaint, physical exam, vitals. Maybe this
1: is one way to put it. So he started out as a 44-year-old man with a seizure. Then he, as you got more, he was a 44-year-old man with a seizure who was who had extremely high blood pressure. Then he was a 44-year-old man with a seizure with very high blood pressure who had no remarkable past medical history. And so so just like you, just as Kevin says there, your problem representation changes based upon the information that you have. And so at this point, how would you in, in briefly, how would you how would you describe this case?
2: 44 year old male with no previous medical history presenting with a first time seizure this morning um, who had high blood pressure, extremely high blood pressure upon arrival in labs are supporting that he has kidney injury or kidney disease as well as interstitial lung disease with unknown origin.
3: Anything you want to add to that, Patrick or? The, oh, one of the only things I would add would be the physical exam findings yeah. of the skin tightness yeah. and the rest of his exam being normal.
1: Yeah. And, and remember, that's going to drive you to your next steps, right? You're starting here. And although we're going to give you an eloquent of information in a minute, you're thinking, okay, these based on where I am, I want these things to either move this, what I'm thinking along or else move me in some other direction. And, you know, when it's just a seizure, boy, you've got a <laughs> gazillion places to yeah. move. At this point, you know, we're, we're down at the branching of the branching of the tree where you can be a lot more specific in what you might want or what you might think should be next. Let's
0: go to some of that advanced data. So the patient was transitioned um, to an oral antihypertensive regimen of amlodipine, labetalol, and lisinopril with reasonable control. And then some further tests were included. So a urine drug screen was negative. TSH was normal at 1.62. Renin was elevated at 25.08. Serum metanephrines were normal. An autoimmune panel included an ANA, which was positive with a titer greater than 1 to 640, and it was noted to have a speckled immunofluorescence uh, staining. Scleroderma antibody was elevated at 1.3. Serum complement levels were normal, Um, ankle was negative, MPO antibody was negative, then an infectious workup of hepatitis A, B, and C was negative as well as HIV. You guys want to dissect those a bit? Interesting findings? What are your what are your thoughts? What are you thinking now? So
3: when I see so negative, UDS, so not really drug related. Uh, DSH is normal. I'm not thinking hyperthyroid or hypothyroid crisis. Uh, The renin.
2: I don't honestly know what the normal range
3: is for Renin value. Um, serum antinuclears being normal it tells me that it's likely not a Um The positive ANA. My understanding is ANA is not very specific, uh, but it is sensitive for uh, like autoimmune diseases. So it supports an autoimmune cause. It doesn't necessarily give me an exact diagnosis
0: from it. What do you think about the titer level? Uh, I think it's very high.
3: So I think. It, very likely that something autoimmune is going on because of how high the factor is. Uh, the scleroderma antibody is slightly elevated. I'm not sure how high that would be um, for it to be blatantly, obviously scleroderma. Uh, complement normal. To me, makes even though the ANA is positive, you think of ANA a lot of times with like lupus, but I would expect complement to not be normal if yeah. this were lupus. I would expect C3 That's and true. C4 to be low. Yeah. And then the ANCA and yeah, You, got, you know. got your <laughs> got my ANCA, but it was negative. So everything I talked about before, <laughs> likely not the cause. And then uh, the other testing negative
0: as well. I when I was going through this data, I'm hoping Dr. Abrams was the one who ordered these. because a, what are your guys' thoughts on the infectious workup?
2: The fact that it's negative, or that it was like not- the
0: the choice of hepatitis A, B, C, and HIV.
2: HIV, I feel, can present in very different ways. And especially if your auto or your immune system is suppressed or low from HIV can kind of, you never know what can happen. Um, And then for hepatitis, can affect, I mean, it's usually we think of the liver, but it can technically, we also like hepatorenal um, things that affect the liver can affect the kidneys as well. I think,
3: uh, HIV can also cause neural changes, right? And so, press could be a consequence of HIV. Uh, and then, hepatitis A, B, and C. At least with hepatitis C, you can get like cryoglobulinemia, um, which could potentially, as a deposit in the kidney, and cause these types of. Uh, like hypertension renal
1: problems I mean, so i think you probably so i did not order these tests <laughs> but i'm 100 with you hepatitis c would be the one that would be most logical because mm-hmm. it can cause a you know can cause cryoglobulinemia it can cause it's associated with various vasculitides. i guess hepatitis b is associated with a vasculitis right i'm not sure is it it's 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 associated isn't it associated with a with a moderate size vessel vasculitis mm-hmm. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. So I can throw okay. that. I can throw <laughs> yeah. that one out there, but the hepatitis C, I can't get it. <laughs> yeah,
2: so this, this might be
1: because of recency
0: bias. Cause I'm studying for step two right now. But when I was looking at these, I like, these are specific infectious things to kind of toss in at this point. Hepatitis C is also associated with membranoproliferative nephropathy and HIV FSGS. So I was like, Oh, were they thinking of like a secondary mm-hmm. cause for these uh, glomerular nephrotic syndromes? We also have some imaging findings. There was a renal ultrasound done; it was normal, and then a renal artery duplex study showed no evidence of renal artery stenosis.
2: Throws away my theory. <laughs> Throws away <laughs> the theory. So we're
0: not concerned of a renal renal artery stenosis process at this point. We have some data to suggest this is probably an autoimmune condition. We don't know if the sclerodomoral antibody result is significant. We'd kind of, I'd, I'd personally have to look up how to interpret that for diagnostic purposes. And then going back to the renin or renin, I wish I put the, the reference range because I don't remember it off the top of my head, but it, it is elevated. So that, that's also an interesting finding. I think normal here goes up
1: to four. So it's, it's it, what, I was, what I'm told is it looks very elevated, but it's moderately elevated. So before we go on to the last aliquot,
0: what do you guys think would be the next step in this case? What would you be most interested in kind of investigating further? I think my next step would
3: be a biopsy, some kind, likely a kidney biopsy, uh, because that's going to show us exactly what's going on within the kidney itself. You can stain for all these different types of antibodies Mm -hmm. and the patterns uh, and find out exactly what's going on there.
0: You ask for a biopsy and you'll, you'll get a biopsy. One thing I did just want to talk about was, uh, the ANA staining patterns, because that can kind of clue you in on a certain etiology. So in this case, it was speckled. So homogenous staining pattern is usually involved with antihistone DNA or DNA complex antibodies in the lupus type mm-hmm. picture. there. speckled is associated with U1, RNP, SM, LA, there's centromere staining and nucleolar staining. So the speckled nuclear is most consistent with the mixed connective tissue disease. Centromere staining, you're thinking limited systemic sclerosis. And then speckled is more associated with diffuse systemic sclerosis and Sjogren's. So let's move on to that biopsy. And I'm going to ask you guys to kind of be pathologists, but Dr. Abrams was nice enough to include significant findings if you can read them there. So what we're seeing is a renal biopsy, and it's showing an artery with myxoid intimal thickening with severe narrowing of the vessel lumina. And there's also noted to be an arterial with thrombus. And then there's a, a a staining pattern that shows onion skin pattern. What are we thinking?
2: I used to know this really well. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know off the top of my head anymore.
3: So my thoughts on this, the onion skin pattern, to me, it's like from the hypertension.
2: Oh, yes. It's uh,
3: more so than the connective story. tissue disease, likely causing the hypertension, but the onion skin pattern being from the hypertension. And then
1: the mixoid intimal thickening, likely. So there is a it. connective tissue disease that's and really anyone could be associated, but there is one that's sort of classically associated with malignant hypertension and onion skinning on biopsy. And, and, and either of you guys know what that one is?
2: It's a. It's not like a hypertensive nephro.
1: No. I mean, this is a connective tissue disease. Is is the association?
0: Walk back to the data we got uh, Scleroderma.
2: Scleroderma.
0: <laughs> so yeah, the the biopsy, the reading was a thrombotic microangiopathy with arterial showing an onion skin pattern, which is consistent with scleroderma renal crisis.
2: Ah yes that ring the bell? It does.
0: <laughs> so before we go on to some teaching points about sclerosis, I think you guys, <laughs> you guys are great. <laughs> yeah, you guys are great. This is awesome. Just right off from the beginning, kind of took, okay, this guy just had a, a witness seizure and kind of went with it. And as we added layers to the case, your thinking went right along with it. Um, we did have to pull out some of the step one trivial facts to kind of help guide our thinking, I think. But overall,
1: you, I just love to hear how you guys think and thought you guys did a great job. Yeah, you guys were, you guys were fabulous. I, I've got to tell you, I don't know if anybody here knows Dr. Corbett, who's one of the old, he's, he's one of the longtime nephrologists here. And I remember when he went in to see this case, and he was immediately drawn to the mouth and the hands hmm. and walked out and said, oh, this guy has scleroderma. <laughs> and and the, the patient had no, literally, he had no history And, uh, but you know, then it would be, oh yeah, my fingers have been like this and (laughs) I can't quite open my mouth all the way. And, uh, you know, everybody looked at him and said, oh my God, this is, this is the the presenting symptoms of scleroderma. Renal crisis. That's
2: what I thought with the tightening. It was like,
1: so
0: I'll, I'll walk us through some teaching points. So systemic scleroderma is uncontrolled collagen accumulation, widespread vascular lesions, thickening of the vascular wall, and narrowing of the lumen. And the biopsy that we just read kind of shows that exactly. It's truly a systemic disease with a constellation of findings. It really affects all organ systems. Um, universally, there's the cutaneous findings, which are thickening and hardening of the fingers, hands, and face. You can also see edema and erythema. Some other buzzwords are the digital tip ulcerations, telangiectasias, and calcinosis cutis. Also universally, universally seen as digital vasculopathy. So Raynaud's is almost always present and may actually predate other symptoms by years. And then interestingly, the ischemic digital ulcers are associated with the anti topoisomerase antibody, which is the anti-SCL 70. There's some MSK findings like arthritis, tendinitis, joint contractures. There's GI findings and 90% of patients have GI involvement of some sort. And they're typically presenting or complaining of dysphagia, choking, heartburn, hoarseness. Our chest x-ray showed this. there's pulmonary manifestations such as interstitial lung disease or pulmonary vascular disease, both ultimately leading to pulmonary arterial hypertension. And then there's some cardiac, um, findings too, which I, it, it makes sense, but it was a good reminder to kind of see that these recurrent microvascular ischemia and can cause myocardial inflammation leading to ischemic necrosis through perfusion damage and fibrosis. And then the renal findings. So 50% of patients have clinical evidence of renal involvement with the most serious manifestation being slurred or renal crisis, approximately five to 20% of those with diffuse systemic sclerosis will experience scleroderma or renal crisis within their first five years of presenting with disease. And it may even be the initial manifestation, as we just saw. Glomerular nephritis is actually not a feature So there's no hematuria cellular casts. So I kind of want to step back and interpret our UA. It said trace
1: blood and there were very few RBCs. Yeah. So, um, I'm not sure. Probably how that more kind of manifestation in. of the malignant hypertension right, right. than it was scler. it was scleroderma. So malignant hypertension is associated with hematuria. Associated with some. It really is associated with some angiopathy. Essentially, people can have schistocytes. They can have. They can have all sorts of things in their urine. And it's so it's it's hypertension, not specifically scleroderma related. And then just some risk factors for scleroderma renal crisis is having
0: the diffuse cutaneous type. And one of the treatments is high-dose corticosteroids, and that's actually shown to have a, put you at an increased risk of having a renal crisis. And then there's certain antibody findings like rna pol 3 if you have the ANA speckled pattern, and then if cyclosporine use is also associated. And then diagnosing it is, there's an abrupt onset of moderate to severe hypertension associated with increased renal activity. Um, number two is AKI. Number three is urinalysis that's normal or only showing mild proteinuria. And then some other findings such as MAHA. CHF, pulmonary edema, headache, blurred vision, probably, probably secondary to um, everything else going on, but you can kind of see those two. That's a quick refresher on our scleroderma. Um,
1: I think Dr. Abrams has a historical point for us that he's going to add. In, in a second, I would okay. say one last thing about this case, and that is, I think when you look at the long-term outcomes of these people, or people who have this illness, the, 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 the two things that predict I think it's the heart would be a third one, but but lung involvement I, I know was a bad prognostic indicator in, in in these patients. I do know a little bit of follow up on this patient was I did cheat a little bit. Um, so he was started on Cell Sub eventually. Okay. That's, that's, that's what his treatment was. Whether treatment is great for this disease is still sort of unclear. His scratchine improved it didn't go back to normal. And and as of as of now and uh, I saw him a couple of years ago in the hospital. As of now, he, he follows one of our nephrologists here and he, and he's, and he is doing really well. He's, 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 he's doing great right now. So the first two episodes, I, I did historical points about the illness. And in, in reality, I didn't find much, I, much that I thought was interesting about this. Um, so I actually brought another historical piece that I'm, I'm going to make a plug for. It's a book that I just finished. And, and it, and I got to make this plug was it actually has a rush connection. Okay. And so this is a book called the doctor's Blackwell. I don't know if anybody has heard of this. This is about, about woman number one and woman number three in the U S to receive a medical degree. Okay. So, so Elizabeth Blackwell was the first woman to receive a medical degree in the United States. And, uh, and this is, the story is incredible and I will definitely plug this book Um, Her sister, Emily, was actually the third person to get a degree, and and I'm going to tell you that medical school, in the so this is 18, Elizabeth went in the late 1840s, I think, Emily started right around 1850, and medical school at that time consisted of two 18-month semesters, which were repeated, so you took one semester, (laughs) you came back, and you did the exact same (laughs) semester again, so so I guess if you didn't get it right the first time, hopefully you got it right the second time, but uh, so... Elizabeth had gone to this small medical school in upstate New York, and I want to tell you that Emily did her first semester at Rush Medical College, okay? (laughs) And I I don't say this to dis Rush, but actually, she was, the trustees of Rush, voted to not allow her to come back the second term to graduate even though she was number 1 in her class uh, and she ended up going to Case Western and graduating from Case Western but the story is absolutely absolutely fabulous and i and I, it it's really recommended reading and you know in my mind to anybody sort of interested in this and and to see what incredible incredible pioneers these students were, they were just, I mean, they were so remarkable and they really sort of moved in a very remarkable group of people. So that's my historical plug for the week. I like that. Plug. Dr. Abrams. thank you. Uh,
0: so thanks for tuning in guys. Patrick and Amanda, you guys did a fantastic job. Uh, hope this helped everyone build your illness script for systemic sclerosis and got you thinking a little bit more about hypertensive crises. We have a special episode coming up in two weeks. It's going to be featuring
2: our first special guest and it's going to have a case presented by our own Dr. Tommy King. So until then, keep it A and O times three.